Welcome to Do Hard Things with the Revolution. Do you want to rise above mediocrity and live your life sold out for the glory of God? Do you want to do hard things, make your life count, and use your teen years for Christ? Here at the Revolution, we know that navigating life as a Christian teen can be tough. Our hope with this podcast is to share biblical truth and provide real, honest, and relatable answers to your hardest questions. So with that in mind, let's dive right into the latest episode of Do Hard Things with the Revolution. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Do Hard Things with the Revolution. I'm your co-host, Tabitha Bell, and I'm here today with Sarah, and we're going to talk about something that I think every single person on the planet can relate to, and would you like to tell our listeners what that is? (laughs) It's one of our favorite topics. It is about waiting, waiting, because we all love to wait, right? I, I I know I love to wait, don't don't you? Certainly. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. <laughs> no, no, seriously. We are all so impatient. Waiting is like what none of us want to do. We want it now. We want it quickly. We want it right away. And yet so often we find ourselves waiting a lot. Like If you really think about it, as I was planning out this episode, I realized almost every season of your life is a season of waiting in some way, shape, or form. Like, just think of, I know many of our listeners are single or looking for a relationship. So this might be a relevant uh, analogy, but when you're single, you know, you're waiting for a spouse. But when you're dating, then, well, then you wait to get engaged when you are engaged well then you wait to get married like this kind of is a picture of every season there's always something that we're waiting for and even if we reach one season of fulfillment well then that brings about another season of waiting for something else so we really do need to learn this grace of waiting well even though it's not enjoyable really all the time. But Tabitha, what would you say you are like something that you're waiting for right now that comes to mind first? That is a very, very good question. Um, And, you know, I was I was thinking about as I was working on this episode, like, what am I waiting for now? And Honestly, there's a lot of things. <laughs> there's a lot of things. Um, I feel like I'm waiting for answers, like answers to longtime prayers, like daily prayers, um, waiting for clarity and direction mm-hmm. um, on various things. Um, and honestly, and I feel like I'm waiting my turn. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe some of our listeners can can relate to that feeling of God seemingly being at work in everybody's life but their own. Like you see him, you know, working very evidently mm-hmm. in this person and in your sibling and in your friend yeah. and everybody at church. But, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's difficult sometimes to 
to see God at work in our own lives and to just kind of feel like maybe you've been put on the back burner. And so you're just kind of waiting your turn like, all right, when is when is it going to be my turn? When when are we when are we going to do something God? Like <laughs> it's a tough place to be in. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely relate to a lot of those things you mentioned waiting for for prayers to be answered, waiting for uh, different seasons. But it is important to remember, and I know we're going to unpack this more in a little bit, but waiting can actually be good. Mm -hmm. Um, And one thing that I really prayed through in a season of waiting myself um, several years ago Mm -hmm. was that God would help me to grow deep roots in Him in that particular season, grow deep roots of contentment, even in the soil of suffering. And you may think suffering, like waiting is suffering, but actually you can think of waiting as a form of suffering because Elizabeth Elliot, I love her description of suffering, that it's having what you don't want or desperately wanting what you don't have. And that is what we are doing when we're in seasons of waiting. We don't have what we want, whether that's, you know, a relationship, a spouse, good health, a job, a different life season, an answered prayer, or we have what we don't want, whether that's, you know, singleness or sickness or an unwanted life season, an unwanted job. And this, in this place of waiting, of having what we don't want or wanting what we don't have, This is a huge opportunity for us to build trust, to grow those deep roots, and to view these seasons as opportunities, not necessarily just as seasons of difficulty or seasons of lack, but seasons where we will have an opportunity that we won't have again in the same way that we can surrender to God, that we can surrender to Him in this unique way, in this unique season. And that can be an offering, an act of worship. Um, and that really is, um, an offering that we can give to God when we're in that season and it requires trust. It requires us to place our hope in God above our circumstances to say that either way, regardless of whether or not this works out like I want, regardless of whether this season of waiting ends how I want it to end, God is good. We can trust him Mm -hmm. and meditating upon those truths can really give us hope and a firm foundation in those seasons of waiting. So they're not all bad seasons, but they are seasons where a lot of growth can take place. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that you mentioned that, you know, every season of waiting is an opportunity to offer it to God as an act of worship. Mm -hmm. I think that Oftentimes, worship and waiting are very, they're very closely connected. They kind of go hand in hand because we're always going to be worshiping something. Mm, Absolutely. And quite often, we're always waiting for something. And so we kind of have to choose when we're waiting, what are we going to worship? Mm, mm -hmm. Um, And like you said, it's Im- it's important to talk about waiting on God himself rather than waiting on these other things to happen. Because if we're not careful, we can very easily slip into idolizing the things that we're waiting for. I know I have done that. I have so been guilty of that. I've done it in regard to physical healing 
you know, just wanting a healthy body, wanting a body that doesn't cause me chronic pain, wanting, you know, to be able to do things that other, you know, 27 year olds can do with ease, wanting, you know, to move house, wanting to live in a different location. Like looking back, I can see how I've wanted some of those things even more than I wanted God himself at Mm -hmm. times. Mm -hmm. I can even recognize where wanting those things, desiring those things was my only reason for talking to God. Like my prayers were focused and so revolved around, please heal me or, you know, God, I really want to move or, you know, what have you. And I was so convinced that my happiness and my joy and my peace hinged on those things that I couldn't be content or peaceful or even of use to God unless he gave me those things that I wanted, unless he gave me a healthy body, unless he, you know, moved me to a different location. To be clear, physical healing is a good gift of God. You know, so is a spouse, so is a job, so is a new house. Like, so it's not that we shouldn't want those good things at all. It's not that we're in sin if we want a healthy body. (laughs) Um, Like, who doesn't? (laughs) It's not that it's bad to wait for them or to want them to happen. But we need to be honest and ask ourselves, do I want this gift of God more than I want God himself? Am I placing all of my hope and waiting for X, Y, Z to happen? Or am I placing my hope in Christ and waiting for his will to be done in my life? Now, on the flip side, we won't only be tempted to idolize the good thing that we're waiting for. Sometimes in our waiting, we idolize things that are not of God. Uh, we see a clear example of this in Exodus 32, where you know Moses is on Mount Sinai, the Israelites are in the camp below, and they ask Aaron to build them a golden calf to worship. Why did they do that? Because they got tired of waiting for Moses to come back. Mm-hmm. Their frustration and boredom in their waiting led them to idolatry. So a very simple definition of waiting on God is to run to him rather than to idols. It's to know our contentment hinges on a true, deep relationship with Christ, not on what we want happening, not on us getting what we desire. So if this is resonating with you and you're realizing right now that maybe you have been idolizing something in your waiting, I want to pause right here and tell you it's okay. Like, we're human. We're going to fall into sin. We're going to fall into temptation. So it's okay. There's no need to panic. Simply repent of this sin. Like, if you're recognizing it and you're seeing, yeah, I've done that with, you know, this or or with that, simply repent of the sin, receive Christ's forgiveness, and ask him to help you find contentment in him alone. Ask him to help you wait on God first and foremost, and I promise you, he will. It won't be easy, but he will do it. Mm. Well, as you've just been talking, Tabitha, I have been feeling those pangs of conviction myself because it is so easy to fall into that, especially when you talked about what are our prayers revolving around? Are our prayers seeking after God himself or are our mm-hmm. prayers just seeking God to do this particular thing for us? Uh, that's something I, I think we need to be reminded of all the time and to remember to seek after God himself, not just seek after what God can do for us. And I was also reminded of mm-hmm. 
um, a book by Andrew Murray called Waiting on God. I read it, oh, probably about two years ago or so, and it was so good. And this quote from him that says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Yes, for him. Seek not only the help, the gift that thou needest. Seek himself. Wait for him. Give God his glory by resting in him, by trusting him fully, by waiting patiently for him. This patience honors him greatly. It leaves him as God on the throne to do his work. It yields self wholly into his hands. It lets God be God. That is so, so convicting. And one thing, as I was reading this book by Andrew Murray, I was so surprised how many times he pulled references from scripture that talk about waiting on God. It was over and over and over again. And then as I started to read um, these Psalms and these scriptures, I'm like, wow, the theme of waiting is so prevalent throughout scripture. It is all over, especially in the Psalms. Some of my favorites, Psalm 62, 5 says, my soul wait silently for God alone for my expectation is from him. I love that. My expectation is from him. Uh, Psalm 130 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word, I do hope. And then one of my very favorites, Psalm 39, 7 says, and now Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. It's that question, what do I wait for? Do I wait for these other things or do I wait on God? We wait for him alone. Our hope is in him. I think it's hard sometimes for us to know what, okay, what does that really look like though? Like waiting on God, all right, are we just sitting in a chair in our room by ourselves, just waiting for God to do something? Or what does that look like, actually? So we wait upon him in prayer, first and foremost, in seeking his face. Like Psalm 27 says, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. That's a part of prayer is seeking the face of God. Uh, In Yes, it can be in intercessory prayer in praying for those things that we need, but it's not just that. It's seeking God for himself, like we talked about. It's waiting upon his work of grace and his sanctification to be fulfilled in our lives, opening our hearts up to that conviction of the Holy Spirit for him to work in and through us to make us more like Christ. Um, it's asking him for guidance and direction, asking his counsel, um, asking God to please show me the way. Um, And one thing lately myself that I've really been realizing is I need that so much, not just for the big things, but for everything. Like just asking God, what should I do today? What should I do in this small situation? How should I handle this conversation? Um, Just inviting God Mm -hmm. into your day-to-day life you know, asking him about everything, asking for his counsel. And we're also waiting for a deeper love for Christ, a deeper communion with him. Um, And so again, it all kind of comes back to waiting upon him in prayer, talking to him, seeking his face. So in our waiting, really, our waiting is active. It's It's not passive. We are seeking God in the midst of it seeking a deeper knowledge of him, a deeper love for him. And that can give purpose in the midst of our waiting. 
Hey friends, we'll dive back into our conversation here in a moment, but first, listen up because I'm so excited to tell you about our sponsor for the day. If you've been listening to the podcast, you've probably heard me talking about this author conservatory thing. So what is the author conservatory? The Author Conservatory is an affordable three-year program that launches Christian students into sustainable writing careers. It's for high school or college-age students or grads, or really for anyone who feels called to write, speak, and teach. But you feel like you need training and guidance to pursue that calling faithfully and fruitfully. So it covers both the writing side and the business and publishing side. So you can learn the writing and business skills you need to get published and support yourself financially. It's led by our very own Brett Harris, as well as a team of incredible authors and writing and publishing experts. So if you want to learn the skills that you need to become a published author, head over to theauthorconservatory.com for more info and to request a free consultation. Again, that's authorconservatory.com. But what do we actually do in our season of waiting when we're waiting for a particular thing, when we're single and we really want to get married, when we are struggling with chronic illness and we really desire to be healthy, when we're in one life season and we really want to move to the other what do we actually do in those seasons? Like everything we just talked about, those are things we need to be doing all the time. But when we're in the midst of a actual intense season of, I have a lack here. I have something I'm waiting for. What can we do there? So Tabitha, what, what would you say there? That is a really, really good question. And I think one of the easiest ways to begin to answer that is to answer what we shouldn't do in those seasons of waiting. What we should not do is jump ahead of God and try to work it all out because, let's be honest, that's often the temptation in waiting seasons. If anything, our culture supports this hustle-hard mentality and encourages us to take charge of our futures and control things and make it happen. Um, And I know that's often a temptation that I slip into. I want to fix things. I want to make peace. I want to control. That's a coping mechanism. If I get too scared, I want to take control of things. But when we try to take charge instead of waiting on God, things go south real quick. Sarah and Abraham are proof of this. God promised them a son. And instead of waiting for God to fulfill his promise, they roped Hagar into making it happen the only way they knew how. Like them, sometimes our working it out just creates a bigger mess. (laughs) So our job is to wait on God and trust that he will work it out like he says he will. Isaiah 64, 4 says, From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No one has seen a God besides you who acts or works for those who wait for him. God actually promises to work on our behalf when we wait for him. That is such an incredible, Mm -hmm. mind-blowing thing if you really think about it. One of the first times I really like started to begin to grasp this concept um, was listening to a John Piper sermon uh, entitled God Works for Those Who Wait for Him, in which he says, the uniqueness of our God is that he doesn't ask people to work for him. He works for them. 
all their service is dependent upon his service. Mm. Yeah. That completely blew my mind when I first heard that. As Christians, it can be very tempting to, you know, fall into works-based mentalities and think that, you know, God must be waiting for us to get our act together or to, you know, fix ourselves up before he, you know, brings along a spouse or before he opens this door or helps us in this career or before he heals us. But God doesn't need us to work for him. He certainly doesn't need us to fix ourselves. (laughs) Um, He knows we can't anyway. But God is completely self-sufficient. He doesn't need our help to accomplish his will. He really doesn't. But he graciously includes us in his work so that we can witness his greatness. Yes. In her book, Still Waiting, Anne Swindell writes, there's a cost to waiting that's impossible to ignore. The cost of self-sufficiency. Waiting forces us to surrender our reliance on our own ability to pay up, to come through, to make it happen. The cost of waiting demands the payment of our self-sufficiency, and we pay in our acknowledgement of our inability to be enough. But that's the truth of it, isn't it? We are never really self-sufficient. We can never create enough resources, enough wisdom, enough health. So waiting often means that we experience the cost of seeing ourselves as we actually are, broken, weak, and unable to fix our own lives. It's a high cost, a painful one, but it's a cost that must be paid, and it's a cost we have to pay if we are to walk in step with Jesus. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Is that a very tough truth to swallow or what? (laughs) Yes. That's exactly what waiting teaches us. Waiting seasons teach us, in short, that we make really lousy gods, that we are vastly underqualified to run our own lives, that we need a self-sufficient God who is worthy of our trust to work all things together as he promises in Romans 8.28. The only one who fits that bill is Jesus Christ. He is sufficient. He is worthy of our trust. He can and will work things together for us when we wait on him. All that being said, we also need to remember that waiting isn't the same as idleness. Mm, I can hear a lot of you saying, sure, that sounds all well and good, but we can't just sit around and do nothing. Mm. (laughs) And I get it. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And there are action steps that we can take in the midst of our waiting. And I'm I kind of love alliteration, mm-hmm. so here's <laughs> for any of you alliteration like nerds or anything. We can wait, we work, and we can worship in the midst of these seasons of waiting. So first, obviously, we wait, and waiting is doing something. It's not passive, actually. That's exactly right. Waiting is not passive. It's actually very active. And that's because there's a difference between waiting and idleness. Idleness is never productive. Waiting on God, on the other hand, is always productive. Waiting on God increases the scale on which God is glorified because then things are done in his way and in his timing. For example, Jesus waited to go see Lazarus until after he died in John 11. Mm, Yeah. Um, And I'm just going to read 
the first four verses of John 11. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard of it, he said, This illness does not lead to death, for it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Mm. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days later in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Jesus wasn't being lazy or idle when he stayed two more days instead of going to Bethany. He was waiting on the Father so that God could receive more glory. And you know what? When he headed for Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead, he was still waiting on God because there are different kinds of waiting on God. John Piper said in that same sermon I mentioned earlier, he said, sometimes when we consult God, he says, pause and do nothing. Let me do it. And other times he says, act. Here's how. I would argue in both cases, we must keep waiting on God. Whether God calls us to watch him act or he gives us an action to take, we are to keep waiting on him. If he gives you an action to take, don't just take it and run. Mm. No, instead, as you act, constantly seek his counsel through brief prayers. Piper calls this a God orientation in your life, where you pause in prayer and consult your God. It takes practice. We have to be intentional about it. Mm. Yeah, and that was pretty much exactly what I said that God has been teaching me a lot about lately is seeking God in everything that you do, even in your actions, in your moving forward. Like, Don't just move forward and forget that God is the one who led you to this place and he gave you these actions to do. So Mm -hmm. consult him in the midst of it, wait upon him, seek him even in the midst of whatever action he's placed before you to do. Um, so that's that's the first first point that we wait in these seasons of waiting, and then second, we work. There is always always work to do building the kingdom of God wherever we are, mm-hmm. even if we don't feel like we're capable or able to do this great work, or maybe a work we feel God is leading us to do in the future, right now in this season. There is always work that we can do to build the kingdom of God. We can get our hands dirty right where we are um, and just ask the question, how can I get busy working right now? Whether that's serving my family, whether that's praying for others, whether that's serving your church, um, your community, whatever the case may be, there will always be something in front of you that you can do, no matter how small it may seem, that can be an offering of of worship before God and of building his kingdom, working, being faithful right where you are, doing work that is in front of you, even if it's not the work maybe that you want to be doing. There will always be something that you can be faithful in mm-hmm. right in that season. And that leads right into the third thing, that in these seasons, we can worship. Everything that we do here 
can be an offering of worship. Even if it's something we don't want to do, even if it's something that we fail to see how that can be relevant to the kingdom of God, if we do it in faithfulness, if we do it in obedience to him, that is an act of worship. And God is always worthy of our worship, of our trust, regardless of the season that we're in. We can turn our eyes from our own circumstances And we can turn them towards the glory and the love and the kindness of Jesus. And if we really truly do that, if our eyes are really filled with how great and how loving Christ is, what else could we do but worship? So ask yourself, how can I wait upon God? Ask yourself, how can I work for God while I wait? And how can I worship God in my situation right now? I love that. And I love that you mentioned if we're truly seeing God in the season that we're in, how can we do anything else but worship? In the past, I have so desperately longed to see God manifest himself in certain aspects of his character. For example, I wanted to see him as my physical healer. And so I was looking for him as my physical healer only in that season. What that did is it blinded me from seeing him in any other capacity. It blinded me from seeing him the way that he was showing up in that season. So I felt like I was alone, but truly God was with me and he was showing up as my strengthener, as my sustainer, as my comfort, as my peace. Once I learned to see God as he was showing up in that season, it did bring me to worship. And so it really is important to ask God to open our eyes to see him as he is in that season, to give us eyes to see him, to give us eyes to notice the ways that he is showing up because he is there. His his promise is to never leave us or forsake us. His promise is that he's Emmanuel. He is God with us. And so he is present in our circumstances, even in our waiting. If we realize that, if we begin to see God in those situations, not only will it draw us to worship, but it will also remind us that God's insistence that we wait is proof that he loves us, not that he doesn't. Mm. Um, I think it's very tempting Again, when we're waiting to feel like maybe God's holding out on us, it can be tempting to feel like God doesn't love us, that he's punishing us, that he's withholding, you know, those good things out of spite or, you know, just to be cruel. But the truth is that he does love us. Uh, C.S. Lewis said once that, I am sure that God keeps no one waiting unless he sees that it is good for him to do so. Waiting is is a goodness. It's not a cruelty of God. It's it's a good thing, uh, like you said earlier. And like being disciplined or pruned, waiting is painful, but it is for our benefit. When God makes us wait, we can be sure that he does so because he loves us. His motive is always love for us. So we can trust that the same is true for us in our waiting, that because God loves us, he makes us wait. He loves us too much to bring it to pass at any other time than the right time. And as the all-knowing, all-wise, sovereign God that he is, only he knows what the right time is. Yes. Wow. I was reminded of a psalm, and it says that no good thing does he withhold from those that walk uprightly. And 
that is just, it's hard to believe that in a season where you feel like I'm being, things are being withheld from me. I'm waiting for this good thing and it's being withheld. But God promises no good thing does he withhold. He is not a withholding God. He gives us not just what we want, you know, mm-hmm. it's not that he gives us everything that we want, but he gives us what we need, what he knows that we need for our sanctification, for to fulfill his purpose for our lives, to work out his perfect plan, not just for us, but for his purpose in the world. And so he is mm-hmm. not a withholding God. He, everything he does works out, fits in a pattern for good for those who love him, Romans 8.28. And one thing that I have been really meditating on a lot lately, and we'll close with this, is that all of our seasons of waiting echo the reality that the entire world, the entire earth is waiting right now. We're waiting for redemption and restoration and renewal because this world is broken. It is so broken, yet God promised to renew it one day to bring about a new heavens and a new earth. I love Romans 8 that says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us for the earnest expectation of the creation. Here it is. Eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit, that would be us, the body of Christ, even we ourselves groan within ourselves again eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we, third time, eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So we are eagerly waiting. This earth is eagerly waiting. And ever since sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden, the world has been in a season of waiting. Everything is groaning under this waiting, living in the tension of what is and what is to come. Because this world is not how it is meant to be. It's not how it should be. We're not how we should be. We're not meant to live in a sin-cursed earth. And... God has made so many promises that he is going to bring about restoration and renewal. And we have seen throughout history the fulfillment, stages of fulfillment in our waiting. Um, For hundreds and hundreds of years, people waited for a Messiah, for the Savior that was promised to them. And for that new covenant, the forgiveness of sins and the redemption, uh, for, uh, through Jesus Christ. And that came about, that was fulfilled in Christ. We can look back and see that God fulfilled his word there, that that waiting season came to an end and Christ came and he redeemed us and forgave us through his death and his resurrection. And that looking back and seeing that God did that, he was faithful to his word there, can give us hope and expectation 
that he will fulfill the rest of his promises, that he will bring about every word that he said, that every promise will be fulfilled, that our waiting is not in vain, that he is even now in the process of fulfilling his purposes, of answering every season of waiting with a season of fulfillment ultimately when Christ returns and when this world is renewed. But the story is still being written. And in the meantime, we wait. We wait for the return of Christ. We wait for Christ to put an end to all evil and sin and for him to rule and reign. We wait for the fulfillment that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We wait for a new heaven and a new earth. We wait to be present with the Lord. We wait for the redemption and the restoration of our bodies. We wait for the day when all of the curse will be undone and all of its effects and everything will be made new. In short, we are waiting for the words of Revelation 21 that say, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. Also there was no more sea than I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. These words are true. They are faithful. And he said, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. That is a promise that will come to pass. That is God's word. He said it, and he will do it. And until then, we groan and we wait, knowing that we are not home. This is not our home. This story is not over. But one day, every word God has spoken will be perfectly fulfilled. And all of these waiting seasons, these individual waiting seasons, are just a glimmer of that greater waiting. Because when everything is made new, we will no longer be waiting for healing, for relational needs to be fulfilled, for provision, for anything, because there will be no sin, so there will be no lack. There will be no brokenness, so there will be no pain. Instead, we will find all our all in all in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I know that was a lot and that was long, but that is the encouragement (laughs) that we can cling to and look to no matter what season we are in right now in this earth. We can keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And like Hebrews says, run this race with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And now he's sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And now, Tabitha, um, because this is not an easy thing for any of us to actually live out, uh, would you like to pray for all of our listeners that God would give them grace and help in their waiting seasons. 
I would love to. Yes. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for this time that Sarah and I have had to to discuss these things and to remind ourselves and our listeners of the truth of your word, the truth about waiting. And God, I just lift up our listeners to you and I pray for all of us that you would give us patience, that you would help us to truly wait on you, putting our hope in you. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to see you in our waiting, that you would help us not to turn to idols, not to turn to trying to take control of the situation, but I pray that you would help each one of us to run to you, as John Piper said, to be God-oriented in all things, that we would allow your Holy Spirit to sanctify us in our waiting, and that you would just help us, Lord, to keep our hearts and our minds stayed on you, because when we do, we are kept in perfect peace. I thank you, Lord God, for grace for the waiting and for the hope that one day our waiting will end and that we will be reunited with you in a perfect world where there's no tears, no pain, no more waiting, no more suffering. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in to this episode of Do Hard Things with the Revolution. I hope it was encouraging and insightful to you. And if it was, or if you have questions, feel free to drop us an email or a message on our social media. We would love to hear from you. Stay tuned and we will talk to you next week. Bye y'all. Hey, this is Brett Harris, author of Do Hard Things and founder of The Revolution. Are you a Christian student who loves writing but think it could never go anywhere because you've been told young people can't get published and writers don't make any money? Well, you've been told wrong. I published my first book as a teenager and have sold around 700,000 copies of my books over the course of my writing career. Over the last decade, I've served as a mentor and coach to many of the world's top young writers and authors, including people you might know like Sarah Barrett and Jaquel Crow. If writing is your passion, I'd love to work with you as well through The Author Conservatory, a three-year college alternative for both fiction and nonfiction writers. Just visit www.authorconservatory.com to learn more and apply for a free consultation. That's www.authorconservatory.com.